There are foundational principles, there are guiding principles, guiding truths that serve as the pillars of every successful organization. And the church is no different. We have certain guiding uh, principles and guiding truths that we derive from the Word of God, from the Holy Scriptures, that serve as our foundation for healthy ministry, for healthy living as Christians for a healthy church. And this morning, my friends, we continue our series, Foundations for a Healthy Church. And this morning, we will uh, turn our focus to this idea or principle of discipleship and learning truth and how it interacts with the health of the church, how it contributes greatly to the health of the church, and how without it, uh, we as individuals would be unhealthy. We would hold on to all kinds of uh, false beliefs and be confused as a result of not holding closely to the truth. Our scripture this morning comes from Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 15. And I'll give you a moment if you have your Bibles, if you would like to join me or uh, look, read it uh, as I read along. I invite you to, to look it up, to find it in your, in your Bible. It, that is Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And this morning I will read from the New Living Translation. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will be no longer immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Amen. Written by the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, contains some of the highest revelation as far as the position of the church is concerned, as far as your position as a child of God is concerned, it outlines some of the great spiritual blessings that God has given to us in Christ. And it has been called the Magna Carta of the church, if you will, because uh, so deep and so rich and so powerful is the revelation that we find in it. It's not a long book. It's only six chapters long, but uh, I promise you it's, it's packed with rich teaching. You can probably sit down and read it all at once if, if you if you would like one, one a day. Now, the book of Ephesians is, could be divided into two main, main areas. No, chapters 1 through 3 is, are concerned with the position of the believer in Christ and kind of unfolding God's plan for His church, for His people throughout the ages and what will, what will be eventually. And the chap chapters 4, 5, and 6 then are concerned with living out our position. Now that we have the, 
the, the righteousness of God in Christ, now that we are God's people, now that we have been brought near, and now that we have this covenant with God as God's people, how do we then live? Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are concerned with practical application of living out our faith. And when we get to our chapter, we find that Paul begins to discuss some of the ministerial gifts or offices given by Christ to the church. They are given to edify the church. And so important is the edification or the building up of his church that Christ endowed or gifted certain people within the church to function as apostles, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and prophets. The Apostle Paul tells us what this building or edification looks like in the life of the church and in our lives individually. He continues to explain what will happen as a result of the service or the ministry of these five uh, offices, those who, are, those who are called to the ministry. And he goes to explain, the Apostle Paul, that is how as we receive the ministry from the, those who are called by Christ to serve in these specialized offices, as we partake of this ministry, we will become mature. We will no longer be tossed to and fro, as some translations say or read, by every wind of new teaching. Can I tell you, I think you might agree with me that there are a lot of teachings today in the world, <laughs> many of which do not agree with the Word of God and the truth, and for which we have to be ready and know what we believe. Amen? This is why I'm so grateful that this is a Bible teaching church. Aren't you glad? Amen. Our passage points us to two key aspects of this central idea throughout the New Testament, my friends, and uh, two key aspects of discipleship. And this is our, the foundation that we will be studying or exploring today, this idea of discipleship. Without discipleship, the church cannot be healthy. We, we should remember that this idea of discipleship is, is key throughout the New Testament. In fact, the word disciple or the term, term disciple is found over 260 times throughout the New Testament, where the word, whereas the word Christian is only found two, no more than three times. Now, please understand me. We, we have to become a Christian to, to continue in our journey as disciple, right? You have to, that's the entry point. When we confess Jesus, that's the entry point into this life of discipleship. But God's plan is ultimately for you and I to become devoted followers of Jesus. And that includes knowing the truth. That includes growing to become more and more like Christ, as we just read. After all, it was Jesus who said when he gave the Great Commission, he said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples, right? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So here, once again, we see the importance of teaching, correct and proper teaching, in the nurturing of us as disciples of Christ. So there are two main things in our passage that I would like to explore with us this morning. There's much to be uh, considered here, but I'd like to turn our attention to two main things, and that is, number one, knowledge of the truth. Number two, becoming like Christ as a result of this knowledge. You and I are called to be established, my friends, in sound teaching. 
Sound doctrine. That's all the word doctrine means, simply teaching. Sound or correct teaching is vitally important for our growth as disciples of Jesus. Without sound, sound doctrine, you and I will be subject to confusion because of wrong ideas in the world, and sadly sometimes in the church. There are teachings that sometimes surface in the church or religious world that we have to be prepared to, to reject, my friends. Now, you may like a particular teacher, you may like a particular church, but you may not agree with all of their teachings. See, so, and that's, I think, something that we need to be aware of. You may have a favorite, uh, say, author or, or writer, but ultimately, if that person is not teaching or writing or preaching according to the Word of God, you have to love the person, but you have to know what is right and wrong. Even if I say something to you, if, if I can't give you chapter and verse, question it. Go back to the Scripture, because human beings are fallible, man. We have to always be grounded. Go back to the Word of God. That is the litmus test of truth, the Bible. The Bible, and not popular culture, my friends, or the latest thought in the marketplace of ideas, is our rule of faith and practice. In other words, the Bible tells, tells us what we should believe. In some cases, Christians might embrace some of the Bible but have a belief system that mixes Christianity with other religions. And we have to be careful with this. I have met people like that. I can think of one particular person that uh, in her house, she had uh, certainly a cross, she had some crystal balls, she had <laughs> a bunch of different... She was trying to cover all the bases. <laughs> and that's dangerous, okay, you know, because we, there's only one God, Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have one Lord, His Majesty, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have one book that has the truth, the Holy Bible, as we have it in 66 books, all the New Testament. And uh, I can think of another person that I have, I've had conversations with, and this person is not in this church, <laughs> uh, not around here. And, you know, at first, when I first began to befriend this person, I would go out with coffee, to, to have coffee and so on, and he would begin to share many of his beliefs, and I was like, wow, they really know the Bible. But then, as I listened closer, he began to bring in some things from Eastern religion, you know. <laughs> well, I saw this horse, I saw this bird doing this. I was like, man, I'm not sure that you can base the direction of your life or an answer to prayer based on whether you saw a black cat or a white one. <laughs> what am I trying to tell you, friends? That there are things, if we are not careful, that can creep into our belief system if we are not established in the truth. I haven't read anything about judging whether you're going to get answered to prayer if you saw an a eagle flying by your house or whatever. You know? It's not in the Scripture. And some of these things can be so subtle. So we have to be ready. We have to be sound in what we believe. That's why it's so important that we devote time to reading of the Scriptures to study in the scriptures. Let me share with you some, some uh, research that has been recently conducted that will illustrate this very point. A study conducted in 2021 by Dr. George Barna from Arizona Christian University shared the top 10 most seductive unbiblical 
ideas that Americans embraced. I'll read a few of them. Number one, the spiritually inclusive idea that having faith matters more than what faith you have. Wow. This is as of 2021. So having faith matters more than what faith you have. So what we are implying then is that there are more ways to heaven than one, right? What we are implying, what people are implying for some, in a statement and belief like that, is that there are more ways to get to God than one. But we know that's not true. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. Amen? The truth and the life. Or call us uh, narrow-minded or whatever, but we have strong reason and strong proof to believe that Jesus is the way. Amen. Number two, all faiths are of equal value. Now, there's nothing wrong with us having friendships and, and, and relating to people of other faith traditions. I believe Jesus calls, to, calls us to be friendly and loving, right? But that doesn't mean that we have to negotiate our faith or that we have to agree with other people's faith. All faiths are, are not of equal value according to the scriptures. There's only one faith, one baptism. The faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, belief in karma, the idea rooted in Eastern religions that you get what you give. That's another one. Fourth, the dismissal of absolute truth. That's another uh, common thought today. Again, if, if it's true for me, then it must be true. Is that right? I do whatever I want to do. I'll do whatever feels good. As long as it's not hurting somebody, it must be right. What does the Bible say about that practice or that course of action that you're wanting to take? How does the Bible look at it? And my friends, when we say, how does the Bible look at it? What does the Bible say about it? We are saying, what does God say about it? Because God, the, God speaks to us through the Bible primarily. Amen? Here's a big one now. The idea that people are basically good. Now, let, let me press that a little bit. We meet very nice people, and we're all nice people. But according to God's standards, though, None of us is good enough to make it to heaven on our marriage. See, I have met people, I'm telling you, I can remember this particular person, uh, a medical doctor, very well educated, very, very well articulate, very art articulate person. He just could not understand why we were talking about this idea of us needing to be saved. He, he shared with me some of the good deeds that he had done. And I said, that's great, they're great. But you and I, we don't, we don't decide what constitutes the criteria for being saved. We don't have that power. We don't have that authority. We have to respond to it. This idea that people are basically good implies that then if we're all good, then we don't need to be saved. See, that's dangerous, very dangerous. Here's another one. Sexual relations apart from marriage are morally acceptable. This is a big one today. And, so, you know, sometimes people might uh, feel that they're being judged, okay? I've had conversations along these lines. It's not about what we say, friends. It's about what the Bible says. The Bible disapproves of that very clearly. So sexual relationships outside of marriage are wrong, according to the Bible. And if somebody is engaged in this and they don't hear about this, 
or they hear about it and, and not refuse to change. We have to pray for, for their eternity. If something happens to them, I can't, I'm, not, I'm not sure what would happen because we are standing in direct rebellion and contradiction against what God's Word says. See, we have to not be afraid of the truth, friends. Rejection of the notion that people are inherently sinful. That goes along with the one that says that people are basically good. Again, we don't see many times in, in our culture, people don't seem to relate to this idea that they are sinful. They don't understand the concept of sin, sin simply means missing the mark. Sometimes we have the top ten that we think of. They, these are sins, you know. That, those people on the news, yes, they did it, but not me. I'm a good person. Really, how good are you? Are you as good as God? <laughs> you know, the idea of sin in the Bible, my friends, simply has to do with, with missing the mark. So if I'm to try to shoot at that exit sign over there to my right and I miss it by any stretch, I'm missing the mark. And that's what sin is. Anytime you and I miss God's perfection, it's sin. Anytime we fall short. That's what the Bible says, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need Jesus. Yet these are ideas that our culture sometimes believes and are dangerous. And we have to pray for boldness and love, okay? Because Jesus is full of grace and truth. We don't need just grace. We need both. We need grace and truth to be able to witness to our friends and loved ones. If we are not careful, my friends, if we are not grounded in the truth of God's word, we might be tossed and blown about by every new teaching, as verse 14 tells us of our passage. And that's what's happening quite a bit today. And it's nothing new. In Hebrews 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 9, we are called to not be led astray by strange teachings. In other words, teachings that were contrary to the truth of Christ. Now, an important part of, of, of this, of us being committed disciples, followers of Jesus, is engaging in reading the Bible, reading, reading and studying the Holy Scriptures. These are some of the things that you and I can do, studying the Bible, belonging to a small group. Let me tell you, we have some excellent small groups here in our church. Amen. Let's, let's give my, all a, a hand. We have excellent small group facilitators. We are studying some very solid topics, very sound resources that will help you and, and I grow in the knowledge of, of the Lord and the knowledge of truth. Reading the Bible is huge. I had a professor in seminary, he used to say all the time, you know, you, you'd be shocked how just reading the Bible will straighten out your theology. You'll be shocked, just reading, sit down, read the book, you'll be shocked how some of these silly ideas you have, he would tell us that some of the silly ideas you have in your mind get cleared out by just reading the scripture. You know? He said, many of you just don't read it, and, and, and I'm encouraged you to do that. So reading the Bible, belonging to a small group such as the ones we have here, are important for us to grow in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of truth. Reading and studying the Bible is part of being a faithful disciple, a faithful follower of Jesus. It is in the Bible where we find the most reliable and important source, source of information about God. Regular exposure to the Bible, my friends, will shape our thoughts and give us the framework within which we can interpret our lives, the world, 
and have hope for the life to come. Many people don't know what the life to come will be like. In Acts 2.42, the Bible says that the early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. So we see this element of community, small groups, study, fellowship, all the way back to the book of Acts. And this is something that you and I are to prayerfully consider engaging in if we are not already doing. Because let me tell you, the Christian life is not meant to be lived out alone. Amen? We need each other. We all have blind spots. We all have areas that we need our brother or sisters to to help us see, to help us sharpen. The Bible says that we are to, uh, the iron sharpens iron. And in those small groups in, in that community, whether it be Wednesday night, Saturday morning, uh, Sunday mornings, we have several uh, small groups that meet in the morning before the service. We are being sharpened. We have another one that meets on Thursday morning, two meets, meet on Thursday mornings actually. So we have different opportunities for you and I to grow in the knowledge of the truth. Let me tell you, we live in a confused world today. I don't think I have to convince you of that. And it has always been that way. There's always been conflicting and confusing ideas in the world. That's why Jesus came. That's why he said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And part of one of the foundations of, for a healthy church and for a healthy Christian life is for you and I to become grounded, to become well-versed in what the Bible teaches. I'm not saying that you have to memorize half of the New Testament. <laughs> but I am saying that we should read it. We should read the, the, the Bible. We should study. We should grow. We should struggle with some of the things that we may have questions about. Maybe there are questions that you've had that you haven't had a chance to ask anyone before. A small groups, for example, are a safe place to do that. Or you can call me, call Pastor Jackie. There are things that don't have to go unanswered. There are uh, ideas that you might want to explore further. And we want to be able to see what the Bible tells us about them. Now, friends, in our text, God calls us to be mature, to become mature. And that maturity has a great deal to do with us knowing the truth. Knowing the truth of His Word, of God's Word, and, and of Christ, so that we are not confused with deception, deceptive teachings. What sorts of information do you allow to shape your belief system? That's a question for us this morning. When faced with a dilemma or a decision, where do you receive direction from? Where do you go to, to have some kind of idea as to what the right course of action might be? If the answer is not the Bible, let me strongly encourage you to reconsider that. Because, you know, sometimes we go through life, it's like some of us guys have done that, you know, you buy uh, an, some kind of equipment or, or something for the house or a set of something that you're trying to build. And what do we do? <laughs> we go try to build it without looking at the instructions, right? <laughs> and then at the end, you realize you have all these uh, uh, bolts and all of this extra stuff left over and you're scratching your head. <laughs> I wonder where that's supposed to go. And it's because we haven't looked at the instructions. And sometimes we can go through life the same way without looking at the, the manual, looking at the instructions. It's right here in the book. But if we don't make, avail ourselves to, to its teaching, if we don't take it seriously, 
We're liable to be confused, misled, blown about by every wind of teaching new religious philosophy in this, in this confused world. We don't have to go that way. We can be established in the truth and we can grow as a follower of Jesus. This morning, my friends, I invite us to continue growing in the knowledge of the truth. And let's do all we can to be connected with each other as disciples of Jesus, following Him, learning the truth. That indeed is a foundation for a healthy church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, You call us to be mature. You call us to be established in the truth. You call us to know what You teach us in Your Word. I pray that You give us a heart, Lord, Give us a heart to know you through your word. Give us a heart to, be, to want to be connected in the community of faith, to grow with each other, alongside each other. We want to be healthy disciples. We want to be healthy, a healthy church that knows the truth, that teaches truth, and that reaches out to the world with the truth. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. My friends, as our, would you stand as our ministry team leads us in worship and take this song as a prayer to the Lord as we commit ourselves to following Him. Amen.